0: Welcome to the Mornings with Soon Andy podcast for Tuesday, October 17th. We begin with an update on the war between Israel and Hamas, now over 10 days in. We get the latest from Sarah Teach, international human rights lawyer and senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute.
1: Next, maybe that large purchase you made using a buy now, pay later plan has put you in more debt than you can manage. We find out why this type of payment method is now failing consumers from Vivek Astavaj, professor of quantitative marketing and analytics at McGill University.
0: And finally, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We get details on what current scams you need to be aware of and how you can safeguard your personal data with Tony Anscombe, Chief Security Evangelist at ESET Digital Security.
1: The death toll is rising, Gaza bracing for a potential Israeli invasion as the Israel Army searches for Hamas terrorists. Sarah Teach is an international human rights lawyer, senior fellow at the McDonnell-Laurier Institute and a legal advisor to the Canadian Coalition Against Terror and joins us now to talk about the situation that is happening today in the Middle East. Good morning, Sarah. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Israeli officials announcing uh, that an invasion of Gaza is likely as they search for these terrorists. Do we expect to see it this week? I mean, obviously, they're not going to make an announcement that it's coming, but are we expecting it within the next hours?
2: It's a great question. I think the other you know factor to keep in mind, which makes this you know wildly unpredictable, is this, the hostages, right? And I think that's probably why we've seen a delay of so many days already, is that they're trying to do some... I mean, we can only assume they're trying to do some behind-the-scenes negotiations to get Hamas to release the, uh, I think it's now, stands at 199 Israeli hostages.
0: What are we hearing, Sarah, about the movement of the residents of Gaza at this point and and safe passage, perhaps, for civilians? Any updates there?
2: So, uh, you know, the last I heard, the, the Egyptians were still blocking that border. There was temporarily, it looked like there was an agreement that had been reached to open it yesterday morning, and then that you know, didn't happen uh, in reality. So there's also some diplomacy going on there to try to get Egypt to open the border on their side. Uh, in terms of movement of Gaza and Gazan civilians from north to south, we did see for a time Hamas was blocking their movement south, and I'm not sure they ever really stopped trying to block that movement, but we did see the evacuation of I think it was almost a million Gazans from north to south.
1: Sarah, what do we know about this terrorist organization, uh, Hamas? Do do we know in terms of numbers or how well-armed they are? Do we know much about that? Do the Israelis know?
2: The Israelis probably know. I I, I don't know. I mean, in terms of Hamas's history, though, I think that's something important to talk about as well. The fact that they, you know, right in their charter, they aim for the destruction of all Jews from the Middle East. That's important. That's relevant to talk about. It's also important to talk about how you know their ties with iran they are 70 percent funded by the iranian regime the rest of their funding to my knowledge comes from turkey and qatar so this is you know hamas is essentially yet another iranian proxy in the region but with ties as well to turkey and qatar so that's interesting and i think that's why we're seeing a lot of behind the scenes negotiations trying to happen between the u.s and qatar because qatar has quite a lot of influence over hamas beyond the funding that's where the the political leader from Hamas lives.
0: He lives in Qatar. Speaking with Sarah Teach, an international human rights lawyer, a senior fellow of the McDonald Laurier Institute, and a legal advisor to the Canadian Coalition Against Terror. Uh, we brought you in, Sarah, talking about how it is imminent from what we're hearing the Israeli invasion of Gaza. Uh, how would an invasion on the ground change the course of the conflict?
2: a great question you know I'm not a military strategist it's hard to, it's hard to say I think that will certainly be the next the next phase it, it's definitely looking like and I think we're going to see a lot more bloodshed when troops are on the ground that being said it may be more it may be more possible for them to you know aim with more precision in terms of you know trying to strategically get the hostages back root out Hamas. I mean you can, you can be more precise potentially in a in a ground invasion than with airstrikes I don't know. It's,
1: it's an open question. You know, we hear rumors that President Biden may be visiting Israel in the near future. Is, is that even a smart move? Should we be looking to the Prime Minister? Would Justin Trudeau follow suit? I know they're supporting Israel in this war on terror, but is that that's a, seems awfully dangerous at this point in time with the way things are.
2: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. You know, Israel has a really fantastic defense system with the Iron Dome. So, in terms of a head of state's physical safety, I mean, I, I think that concerns those concerns may be a little bit overblown. Um, in terms of should Trudeau go, I think Trudeau should go. I think it would be a real uh, indicator of solidarity beyond the statements. But do I think he will go? Probably not.
0: All right. Uh, let's uh, get into the, uh, you know, uh, depths of this with the crystal ball, Sarah. Mm. I'm not sure if you have one with you, because this is <laughs> this is another very tough question. How do you imagine this coming to an end? What are some of the paths to a resolution that we possibly could see in this conflict?
2: Great question. I think, you know, at the end of the day, peace should always be the goal. And I think it probably is for the Israelis. That being said, their, the aims of their operation have been have been stated very clearly. They want to eradicate hamas because they feel that as long as hamas is there in the region or in gaza at least they will pose a threat and they have the capability to you know have do this type of attack again if if the israelis don't completely eradicate hamas we you know there's the risk that in another five or ten years there will be another massacre like we saw on october 7th another thousand plus israelis killed another almost 200 taken hostage so i think that has to be the end goal and i'm not sure that the israelis are going to stop nor am I sure that they should stop frankly and, you know, unless and until Hamas is totally eradicated.
1: You're a lawyer, you're a legal advisor to the Canadian Coalition Against Terror. Can you tell us even what what that is, specifically?
2: Sure. So, the Canadian Coalition Against Terror, actually they recently changed their name. They're now called Secure Canada. Um, I should have told you guys that before going on the air, I apologize. Um, they are concerned with uh, terrorism in Canada and terrorism against Canadian victims. So. Um, Secure Canada, I think in the coming days, will be looking mostly at the Canadian victims of this because there are Canadian victims of this, right? There have been, I think, four or five Canadians killed and, uh, you know, at least one Canadian taken hostage. I think that may actually be three, up to three now. You know, these, the bodies and the missing are still very much being counted. But this does certainly have a Canadian
0: impact. And this is this is obviously a separate conflict. We've been at this a little over ten days, Sarah. But how important is it for the Canadian government and uh, we as Canadians to not lose sight of that other important conflict going on between Ukraine and Russia, and not you know uh, put the brakes on the support we can give, whether it's resources or money, uh, with two major conflicts happening at the same time.
2: It's a great question, and it's a really important question because we're also seeing Russia try to take advantage of the situation in Israel, right? And you have to ask yourself why is Russia supporting this conflict? Why why do they seem to be stoking the flames a little bit? And well, it's obvious that it's it's a distraction from what they're doing in Ukraine. And you know, likewise, China, right? China seems to be uh, sort of stoking the flames of this, and they also are incentivized perhaps to distract from what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims in in China. So. When you look at who's supporting, I think that's important to keep in mind. And Canada should not be, you know, drawing support from these other conflicts. They all matter. They all matter for the geopolitics of the region of the world. They all matter for Canada's security. And um, absolutely, we shouldn't lose sight of those, those other conflicts, and our support's important.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for your voice this morning. Appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah Teach is an international human rights lawyer, senior fellow at the McNaught Laurier Institute, as well as a legal advisor to the former Canadian Coalition Against Terror, now known as Secure Canada.
0: Buy now, pay later. Of course, it allows shoppers to purchase an item and pay off the balance later in installments. To discuss how it uh, might be uh, not doing what it's intended to do or maybe put you a little (laughs) further back behind the eight ball, we're joined by Vivek Astuvanch, Associate Professor of Quantitative Marketing and Analytics, McGill University. Good morning to you, Vivek.
3: Good morning, Sue and Andy, and good morning to all the listeners from Calgary. Yes. Uh, My nine-year-old son... uh, especially asked me to convey his uh, hello to all the
0: listeners. Sounds oh. fantastic. What's his name? His name is Neve. Neve. Hello
1: Neve, thank you thank you for letting your dad uh,
0: visit you. with us. Absolutely. Uh, apparently your son has incredible taste in radio. <laughs> uh, but let's enough about us. Um debt that accumulation is something we're all you know, trying to avoid at this point. It is a very tough time financially. Uh, we look at every option. Now, when we talk about buy now, pay later, uh, can, can we not just compare this to a, a credit card? What makes it different than a credit card in the grand scheme of things, Vivek?
3: Thank you for asking, Andy. Two points make the difference. Um, the first is, when I apply for a credit card, the credit card provider inspects my earning capacity and my current debt and then determines my credit limit that credit limit in turn prevents me from overspending and accumulating debt more than my repayment capacity in stark contrast bnpl or buy now pay later loan does not consider my earning capacity nor my current level of debt which basically means that i am now free to overspend and accumulate more debt then my repayment capacity. The second difference is that credit cards impose what is called interest. So if I do not pay the balance amount within uh, the due date, then I start incurring interest, which is typically at say 15%, which is the average or median. In contrast, BNPL does not impose any interest, but they impose what is called fees. Now lay people may not understand the difference between interest and, mm-hmm. but simply put this is cash outflow from me. And because BNPL, unlike credit card, does not impose any interest, people may think that, oh, this is cheaper, this is easier line of credit, so I can use it more. But in some cases, the BNPL effective annual percentage rate of interest could be as high as 35%. But again, because lay people do not understand, they may not uh, attend to this information back to you.
1: Uh, Vivek this is not you know anything terribly new though the buy now pay later concept are we just getting into more trouble with it these days is that why it's sort of becoming you know of of interest for us really to talk about as I use the word interest particularly you know uh, as a key word in this conversation?
3: Yes this is not new this is basically old wine new bottle the newness here is because of the technology and the recent uh, trend toward purchasing online. So online commerce and coupled with it, social commerce has made this uh, more pervasive. Also, uh, because of the pandemic, people have shifted towards this. And the financial technology firms or the startups more exactly, they just make it so easy. So if you go to a Walmart and buy $100 shoes at the point of sale or at the checkout point, the uh, a fintech company will come up and say, oh, how about instead of you paying $100 from your credit card right now, you pay only $25. And the remaining $75, I will take away from you in four biweekly installments. Now, people cannot make a lot of judgment. And at that point, they would believe that, oh, this is costing me only $25. So maybe instead of buying a $100 shoe, I can afford a $400 shoe. And that's how this game works.
0: Mm, There's the trap. Uh, We're uh, were tight for time, Vivek, but thank you so much for your insight. We very much appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day.
3: Thank you for talking to me, Andy. Have a pleasant day to you and everyone in Calgary. Bye for now.
0: Stuff you too. That is uh, Vivek Astuvanch, Associate Professor of Quantitative Marketing and Analytics, McGill University. It is scary stuff, the month of October. Yes, Halloween, just two short weeks away. But also... Equally is scary. Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Joining us now with tips on how to stay cyber safe is Tony Anscombe, Chief Security Analyst at ESET, which is an industry leading IT security software company. Uh, Good morning to you, Tony, and welcome back to the program.
4: Good morning. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you for, for joining us. We only have about 55 minutes left in the show, Tony, so we can't <laughs> go through all the cyber scams because it just seems like there's so many these days. So can you break down some of the most common type of cyber scams you're seeing?
4: Well, the most common one we all see in our inboxes every morning is phishing emails. And that's where the cyber criminal is trying to dupe us into clicking a link, getting our credentials or passing over parts of our personal information that will allow them to go off and create identity theft on us.
1: And texts as well, right, Tony, not just emails. Like I just got one this morning from, supposedly, from um, you know the post office, from Canada Post, saying that my package is now stuck, they need more information, click on this link. I mean, there's, there's, they seem to be so obvious, but they must be catching people.
4: Unfortunately, yes. And since we've seen uh, AI come onto the scene, you know the language in phishing emails and text, as you mentioned, uh, is getting better because they're no longer making grammar mistakes or spelling mistakes. It's becoming a little tougher to spot them
0: should we be looking at you know obviously we have to be as vigilant as possible as we can on our own is there software that can help us in this battle against scams that can we maybe spot phishing uh you know uh scams coming into our email box so we don't want to shut down everything we might miss out on an opportunity that's very
4: true and uh yes there's software so make sure you're using uh, an inter- internet security suite i mean eset has has products but many other vendors do too uh, and typically those products will do two things. One, they'll try and identify spam and phishing emails in the inbox. But they'll also, if you click on the link, uh, pick up that the link may be malicious as well and block, the, block you from opening the link as well.
1: Uh, and, and and as you say, I mean, they're getting smarter as we get a bit smarter and try to figure them out. Uh, so, I mean, uh, do you have tips for us in terms of recognizing, like, uh, for example, uh, we see this a lot now too. Um, we have a, a Facebook page uh, for our morning show here and we get bots messaging us. And if you say something to them, you can tell by the response that it's not actually a, hum- a human being because it throws them off. Is that sort of, do we need to be asking more questions? <laughs>
4: Well, if, if it's something in your inbox, for example, uh, like a phishing email and it's asking you for a password reset and it's somewhat in context, just say you've just signed up or you've just recently reset the password or there's something happened that makes you think it might be real, my recommendation is actually to go to the website of whatever vendor it is that's asking you for that and log on to your account because they will prompt you when you log on to your account. So don't click the link. Actually go to a browser and log on to the, the, the website or go to their app and look to see if they're asking the same thing. They're not. It's phishing. Um, but as for the bot thing, yeah, unfortunately, that's a social media phenomena. And, uh, yeah, I'm pleased you can identify them quickly. Unfortunately, not everybody can. And as I said, with um, better language mod- models uh, coming and there for cyber criminals to use, it might actually be harder to identify the bots in... Uh, some
0: time forward it's uh, much more difficult for me these days tony because you know besides the the pc or the laptop that i use my phone i I get a lot of phishing i get a lot of interesting texts coming in etc how much of a of I guess you'd say bump in the road has been for your company because it's not just computers anymore it's tablets it's phones how has that changed the dynamic of what you do
4: well, for us, it's just another device to protect. I so we have we you know we have the same and similar uh, packages available, whether it's a phone, whether it's a laptop, whether it's um, a tablet or whatever it might be. Um, the interesting thing with the phone is that actually it contains way more personal data than your laptop ever did. If you think about what you share on your phone, or or, mm. or how personal and how much of the location it knows and where you go yeah there's a there's a lot more information than was ever on your laptop, so actually, the protection of your phone is far more important um than anything else you've got.
1: Tony, we've had this conversation before, so I'm curious your take on it. You know, we have a lot of passwords and often we're, we've got weak passwords so that we can remember them. Your thoughts on sort of those password protection programs where you put them all in a, a safe place and, and have one password kind of to get into that and someone's guarding that, that information for you. Are those smart?
4: Yes. A, pass- a password manager yeah. uh, is is what we're talking about. And yes, password managers do help people you then only need to remember one complex password and store all the rest, all the other complex passwords uh, within the password manager. And of course, when it's required to change passwords, it will do it for you, et cetera, et cetera. But make sure you choose a reputable one uh, and make sure it has um, the some of the options that you might think about. So... You know, can you share it with family members, share certain passwords with family members? Does it work across mobile and laptops? I.e. Does it share between the two? You know, make sure it actually has all the features that you want in it before you go down that path. Um, but me personally, I can remember all my complex
0: passwords. Wow. He's, he's just bragging. He's just bragging now at this <laughs> I'm point. Jealous. Uh, the other thing that I think a lot of us don't realize, and Sue and I had a conversation maybe a few weeks ago off, Mike, about this is is the fact that it seems like a pain in the butt to pull over when it comes to getting updates to your phone and uh, to your computer, uh, to your laptop, whatever it might be. Uh, but I, I think a lot of the times you think about the bells and whistles these updates will bring us, but we don't underscore the security updates and, and the importance of doing those software updates.
4: Software updates are incredibly important because what happens is uh, there's two two sides to that. There are vulnerabilities in software that are known, i.e. somebody has declared them to the software manufacturer, they fix it and release that patch. Uh, it goes out in an update. But also uh, there are prote- additional security features built into some of those updates as well. So it's really important that people update when the vendor says there's a need to update. It's there to protect you and it's there to stop you becoming... Uh, a cyber criminal taking advantage of something that's already known and you could potentially avoid.
1: Tony, we could probably check in with you daily about the latest and greatest scams that are out there. Thank you always for so much and great information and sharing uh, some tips and tricks with us.
4: Well, my pleasure. Can I just add one thing? Yes. We talked about passwords. We should mention multi-factor authentication. Yeah. If it's there as an option, make sure you turn it on. That SMS or app-based authentication method. Uh, will help keep a lot of accounts
1: safe. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. Tony Anscombe is Chief Security Evangelist at Malware Protection and Internet Security Company, ESET. You can go online and get more information, just the letters,
0: com. And for me, my recent battle is this, and I'm not sure what the answer is because I hear there are certain types of software that can filter out, and I'm not sure if it's through TELUS or, or Rogers or FIDO. I don't even know which provider because I get... particularly after 11 o'clock in the morning and between three and four in the afternoon, just random phone calls, and it's phishing phone calls. It's right. scam. Uh, I let them go to voicemail, and they never leave a voicemail. And I think that in, uh, you know, we were talking about this with, with Dave McIver, uh, maybe they're bots, and I get that, but if if the bots don't even have success, if we are not, literally, not ever answering a phone number that we don't know, maybe that would diminish it, because it it's away. the most annoying thing in the world.
1: It is. Uh, and, and now I, I notice a lot on my phone, it'll come up, likely scam. I in like brackets. that part, but I like that a lot. Not all the time. Though. No, not all the time. So I mean, maybe that's the thing. Thing, right how often do you get a phone call anyway let it go to voicemail and then return it if you have to if you think it's legit Yeah, but I'm,
0: i got fomo like nobody else yeah, so true. I, what I if it's a million do. dollar yeah. prize that that's I that's a good
1: point and if you don't answer it right away they're going to call you it, and give it to you to the next person yeah which is me